welcome. Uh, welcome if you're a newcomer to St. John's. It's great to have you here with us this morning. Um, if you have a Bible, uh, keep it open at John chapter 11, and uh, I'm going to lead us in a short prayer. Father, we ask that you would help us to concentrate upon your word, what it tells us about Jesus and how it shows us what you are really like. Give us your help that we might believe. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. <clears throat> it's strange times is uh, what my neighbours tell me whenever we manage to get a chat at a safe distance, uh, quickly followed by the question, what's gone wrong with the world? Um, and yet uh, we know that death and disease and viruses have always been uh, here. It's just that now it's in our faces, it's on our phones, it's on our news feed. Um, uh, we get headlines that one in five uh, of every deaths are being caused by COVID. We see that uh, the death count now in the UK has maybe reached 30,000 and around the world, millions. Um, death has suddenly come close to us. Um, perhaps people we know have died, perhaps people we've worked with have died, perhaps people we've cared for have died. Um, life has suddenly been interrupted and uh, maybe for many of us we are wrestling this morning with the real fear of illness and death, the fear that those things bring. Perhaps we uh, would be those who are at risk, considered consider most vulnerable, helpless and isolated, um, dependent on others. Um, perhaps that is the case for family members. Uh, perhaps it is the case where we work, those we work with, we're in the front line facing illness and death. Perhaps uh, in the isolation, we uh, are uh, feeling the effects of uh, uh, on our well-being, that uh, it's affecting our state of mind. These are all real fears. And uh, for some of us, though, the fear might not be to do with illness and death. There could be other fears that we're wrestling with, other things that are keeping us awake at night, other things that are consuming us. Um, to do with the fear of the unknown, how will we cope? Um, the plans that we had are unraveling. Uh, we're going to miss out on certain things. It could be to do with the uncertainty of uh, work and uh, the financial future, what the effect will be on the economy. It could be the future of our business. Uh, it could be caring for those, uh, others, other people's livelihoods. Um, uh, it could be whether we're part-time, full-time, or self-employed, how to uh, pay the bills, how to provide for the family. And uh, if we're students or pupils, well, it just seems to be Zoom everything and life is on hold. Uh, what will the future bring? If we're working at home, uh, the pressures uh, that go with everybody being in the same space, whether that's mum and dad and all the children, how to keep the show on the road. 
as we uh, paused on Sunday, um, there will be lots of fears this morning about the week ahead. And of course, the danger with fears is that they fill our horizon. I did a little experiment this morning with this one pence coin um, just to prove to myself that this little thing, this small thing, can block out a big thing. I went out onto the balcony and held it up towards the sun, nearly blinded myself. And yes, I was able to cover over the sun with this one pence. And of course, that's the danger with our fears, that as our fears flood in, these important things that we're thinking about, that we're concerned about, they block out something bigger, something more important. They can even block out thoughts about God. And so as we come to John 11 this morning, it would be my prayer that this helps us to refocus by showing us what God is truly like. It shows us in Jesus what the God of the Bible is truly like. My prayer would be that that would refresh us this morning in our belief and that uh, it would help us as we move into this week. In this passage, we'll see uh, what Jesus is like. He'll show us his love. We'll see the offer that Jesus brings. We'll see the anger of Jesus, and we'll see the life that he gives. So let's get into these verses, and straight away, we meet three individuals facing great uncertainty. A family um, there's Lazarus, who is ill. His sisters are facing the loss of a, of, of a loved one, their brother. Um, perhaps the man in their life, it's not clear whether the sisters uh, are married. And so if Lazarus dies, there's going to be great financial implications and there's uncertainty for them about the future. You can imagine the conversation, the discussion between them as we start this chapter. What are we going to do? He's not going to make it. He's been like this for days. Maybe we should get Jesus to come now. But it's not safe for Jesus. Last time he was here, the Jews tried to kill him. He only just escaped. Look, let's just send a message anyway. You know how much he means to him. He'd want to know. Let's send a message and he can decide. So the news comes to Jesus and the disciples, Lord, the one whom you love is sick. And Jesus says two things in verse four. Did you see that? He says, all will be well in the end. And he says, there is a purpose in this so that God will be glorified. All will be well and God will be glorified. This illness will not end in death. And it is so that God will be glorified. Just want to pause and, and give us a definition of what this idea of God being glorified means. It means that um, God in his glory, um, when he's glorified, it is to see what God is like. We're going to be shown what God is like. Now, John highlights the love of Jesus at this point for the family. He says that Jesus loved them all. But then he goes on to say uh, that when Jesus heard about the sickness, he decided to stay another two days where he was. The verse here says in verse, verse six, it says, yet when he heard, 
probably more accurately at soul when he heard. In other words, because he loved them, Jesus stayed away two more days. Martha and Mary, we can imagine, would be left in the dark. Questions filling the delay. This is surprising if we're really reading that because of his love, Jesus stayed, delayed, and then chose to go anyway in his own time. Now, the disciples, they think this is a crazy idea. Verse 8, the last time you were there, they nearly stoned you. If you look back to chapter 10, you'll see that Jesus escaped with his life, but also with the result at the end of chapter 10 that many in that place believed. But at this moment, that's not really the concern of the disciples. They're just feeling the threat that could come with following Jesus. And Jesus says something strange. It's a bit cryptic, but basically he tells them, I have work to do. I have work to do. It's a theme, this uh, little verse about the daylight and the darkness. You can go back to chapter nine again to, to understand more on that, but it's to reassure them that there's a purpose in what they're about to do. And he tells them what his work will be. Lazarus is asleep and I'm going to wake him up. So the disciples think he's fine. No, he's dead. And for your sake, do you notice that? And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. So let's go. To which Thomas sounds very unconvinced and resigned. He says something like, well, I think he's being stupid, but because we're disciples, we better go anyway. Trials make it hard to trust the love of Jesus. Jesus loves Mary and Martha and Lazarus very much. The best thing that can happen for them is for him to show them more of God. The best thing that can happen for them is to see the glory of God. We mustn't miss that in this opening section. Even if it means taking them through great suffering, he wants to show them God because he loves them. And it's going to be the same for his disciples. He loves them, so he's going to lead them this way, even towards danger, for their sake, or for their good, so that they may believe. When Jesus arrives, the worst has happened. Lazarus has been dead four days. There's been a steady stream of visitors. Jewish comforters have come. Jesus steps into the worst of situations, and what has he to offer? Martha stops hosting and leaves to meet Jesus straight away. Mary stays. Two different responses to the same grief. Martha comes to meet Jesus, and she's still convinced that Jesus can help. Verse 22 I know that even now God will give you 
whatever you ask. See, Martha believes that Jesus could have stopped her brother dying, and she still believes that Jesus can help. Martha shows great signs of faith, but also misunderstanding. When Jesus says, your brother will rise again, Martha replies, verse 24, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But Jesus wants her to understand something better. He wants her to grasp the offer of Jesus. And perhaps with a hand on each shoulder, he turns her face to face as he tells her the most important words that she will ever hear. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? So for the person who believes in Jesus, they will come to life on the last day at the resurrection. And that person who believes in Jesus will also enjoy God's life within them. In one sense, never dying. You see, what Jesus offers to anyone is life that starts now and continues uninterrupted by death. That's the offer of Jesus to anyone. And Jesus wants to know if Martha has got that. Have you got that? He says, do you, do you believe this? And Mary's reply is great. It's wonderful. Verse 27, she says, yes, Lord. She told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who was to come into the world. She is able to acknowledge an understanding of who Jesus really is, that he is the Christ, God's king, the king for everyone, and that he is the son of God, God come into person, into this world. And she understands that because of who Jesus is, he then has the authority to, to make this offer to bring the promise of life, which she thought she would have to wait till the final day into the present, into the here and now. Jesus alone is the one who can offer this life. So Martha returns. She returns to tell Mary about Jesus. And Mary rushes out. And as she does, all the comforters follow, assuming that she's rushing to the grave. Where, where else could she be going? But of course, she, she's rushing to Jesus. And she falls at his feet and collapses under the weight of grief. And she repeats Martha's words. She too says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. 
but she doesn't say the next part. Now that could be that she she is just lost in this moment of grief. We all through work through grief at different stages and paces. Martha and Mary seem to be in two different places at the moment, even although they're responding to the same situation. As Jesus takes in the scene, Mary weeps, and uh, in the stillness, others are weeping too. And he, he goes with Mary to the tomb, and then Jesus also weeps. But it's not just grief in Jesus' heart. In this moment of despair and hopelessness, where death has torn a family apart, we see the anger of Jesus, the anger of Jesus. Verse 33 says, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. It literally means that he was outraged in spirit. Why was Jesus so angry? He's angry because he sees death as an intrusion into God's world. He sees death as a wrongness, a wrong thing. People ought not to die. It's what some of us, I guess all of us, have been feeling more and more as death has come close. He tells us here what God thinks of illness and disease, of COVID-19 and of death. Jesus was angry at death because he saw how it wrecked people's lives. But to some, at the graveside, he appears just to be another mourner. Do you notice how some see him just as being helpless and powerless to do anything about death? We see here Jesus is death-hating, but we're also about to see that Jesus is life-giving. We're going to see the life of Jesus. In these closing verses, once more deeply moved, he comes to the tomb and he asks for the stone to be removed. Outrageous. The gasps. Suddenly, everyone is watching. Something they'd never seen before. Somebody wanting to open the tomb. Something they'd never forget. Friends, family, enemies saw this. Something you couldn't make up. Martha speaks. She's uh, overwhelmed with fear. She's unable to believe, it seems, in this moment. She can only think of the stench, the inevitable smell of the death from her dear brother's now decaying, de decomposing corpse. Jesus reminds her of his promise, presumably repeated to the sisters. Verse 40, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God. No more objections. The stone, the stone is removed and Jesus prays aloud. Verse 42. 41. Father, I thank you 
that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. The moment arrives and Jesus cries, Lazarus, come out. And incredibly, the dead man came out, a living person. This is the most incredible, amazing thing. We see here the greatness of God as Jesus gives life to the dead. We see the simple authority of the voice of Jesus. He calls Lazarus by name and the dead Lazarus hears the voice of the Son of God and lives. When we see Jesus Christ giving life, we are seeing what God is truly like. We are seeing his glory. In that moment, we are seeing confirmation that Jesus is the one sent to rescue people from sin and death. Jesus is the one sent by the Father into this death-riddled world to give life. He alone is life-giving. New life is what he brings to this dying world. And this is what he offers to anyone who will come to him, who will come to him you can have it this morning. One writer puts it like this. Death is inevitable, inevitable for all of us, but Christ has won the victory over death and shares that victory with all who repent and believe in him as Savior and Lord, all who turn to him and trust him. To respond to Christ's invitation is to surrender our independence, is to bow to him as king. But to die in this sense is to begin to live. If this morning you have believed for the first time, it would be great to tell someone, Tom or myself, we'd love for you to get in touch and let us know. We started this morning thinking about our fears. Some of us may be wrestling with the fear of illness and death. Some of us with other fears that are large at this time. How the smaller things can block out the bigger thing. Praying that these verses would refresh us in our vision and understanding of what God is like as we see him revealed to us through Jesus, his son. In particular, how he has come into this world to give life. This is truly glorious. And if he has come to do that, and if we are those who have received that life from him, 
then whatever else is missing at the moment, whatever else we don't have, whatever else we are worried about or fearing, if we have got this life from Jesus, then we have got what is best. We have got what we need most and we can trust Jesus for the rest. I want to finish by encouraging us, if we're following Jesus already, to pray that we wouldn't just see this time as life being interrupted, as things being a great inconvenience, but actually to see that this delay is an opportunity for us to see more the glory of God and to pray for that, that he would show us more of what he is like and that we would be taken up, taken up increasingly with the greatness of God as we see Jesus, the one who has come into this world to give life. And to help with that, I'd encourage you to pray, to pray that God would do whatever it takes with us so that the result might be that we would believe and grow in our belief in his son. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for time this morning to, to see Jesus and that Jesus is the one sent to show us what you are like, but not just to show us, but to save us and to give us life. Whatever we are facing just now, we ask that you would work in us, do whatever it takes so that the result would be that we would believe in him and grow in our belief in him. For your glory, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.